When you need your work truck to work as hard as you do, trust Delphi Technologies to deliver the parts built for the toughest work environments. From construction sites to long distance hauling, go with the aftermarket supplier known for its 100 plus years of OE heritage and expertise. Go to DelphiAftermarket.com today. This special episode was recorded during a live virtual conference session as part of the Great Canadian Aftermarket Trade Show virtual event being held May and June 2021. Today, I'm very pleased to have Carl Berger of Sidale Asset Management to talk about the context of what's going on in the economy, in the financial markets, and uh, in the automotive space. You know, you mentioned that you don't see the transition from uh, ICE powertrains to EVs as uh, necessarily creating any big bump in demand for vehicles. Uh, so the vehicle population will, you know, kind of by extension, continue to grow as it would regardless, um, which is good, relatively good news for the automotive aftermarket as those vehicles uh, do get some miles on them and, and uh, end up in, in service space. But what, you know, I mean, that's, that's sort of, you know, good news, I guess. Is there any, are there any headwinds that kind of the looking kind of down the road? Uh, I know that, uh, you know, that we, we've uh, talked fairly positive terms about how the economy is opening up. I, I guess, you know, asking for crystal ball predictions is really unfair, but are there things that, you know, uh, you are keeping an eye on or that, you know, you and your colleagues are keeping an eye on that uh, if they were to spring up might, might create some worrisome uh, dynamics in, in the market. I mean, we've got, as you said, we've got all this stimulus in right now. We've got a lot of things going on. There's a lot of inputs in the economy. We also have a lot of uh, folks in opposition to these uh, packages, uh, these measures. You know, I guess, I guess I am asking you for a crystal ball, but. <laughs> Feel free to ask, but, but uh, take the answer with a grain of salt because my crystal ball isn't much better than anybody else's. Um, I, I, I think there's two there's two main things that we'd be worried about in the context of what you just said, Andrew. Um, the first is that 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 the idea of stimulus and easy monetary conditions and and what I talked about off the bat in terms of the shift in thinking is all a bit bit of it's all a big experiment. Like like there are some ways that it could go way off the rails, and and I don't think anybody can say with certainty what that's going to look like. You know, we've got massive inflation in some sectors right now um, because of shortages in supply. If you cannot address those shortages in supply over an appropriate period of time through increased capacity, there's going to be far more inflation because mm -hmm. that's just how it works. More demand, less supply, higher prices. That, that could be very, very unsettling um, and it could create all sorts of different knock-on effects through through different parts of the economy so so the whole thing is a bit of a, a an experiment from that standpoint and and that's that's a potential headwind for sure um, the other the other challenge is is going to be as economies reopen like our sense is that there's actually been a fair bit of capital spending on on capital goods whether it's cars or boats or uh, granite countertops or bathroom renovations. There's been a lot of that over the course of the last year. What there hasn't been a whole lot of is spending on services. 
So restaurant visits have been curtailed, haircuts have been curtailed, nail trips to nail salons, uh, travel, hotel trips, you know, all that sort of thing. There's a limit, I think, we think, to how much of that comes back once things are, are reopened. Like, you're not going to go for more than one haircut a month, no matter how much you may have missed over the last year. You're not going to go out to dinner seven nights a week, or maybe if you do, it'll only be for a couple of weeks, and then you'll fall back into your normal patterns. So it'll be interesting to see as we shift back to a more normal economy, what that transition looks like. And it's quite possible that current current equity markets and current valuations are building in a little bit more enthusiasm than will actually be seen because you know people maybe maybe aren't going to get more than three or four weeks of holidays going forward the same as they had going past which doesn't mean that they can take six trips in 2022 they can still only take their their one or two so we get back to normal spending in those environments but maybe that isn't enough to uh, to sort of carry the economy through on the growth trajectory that markets are currently pricing in. And, you know, that could apply to the automotive sector. It could apply to almost any sector that we're seeing. Um, the other way that we put it from a standpoint of risk to the financial markets is, you know, at some point we're going to be more open in terms of the economy than we are right now. Until then, companies, and this would apply in the aftermarket parts section, would apply to the automotive sector, would apply to a bunch of sectors. Until then, everybody has a bit of a free pass. You know, we know that economic activity is constrained by the realities of the lockdown. Um, You know, if anybody told you that Carnival Cruise Lines was currently booked at 15%, you probably wouldn't worry very much about it. But if we're sitting here in May of 2022, and they're still sitting at 15%, then you're probably um, not very happy at all as an investor and very, very worried about the health of the company. So so there's a degree of optimism built into the current markets. And I'm not saying for a second that it won't be justified and it won't play out. But you you have to be aware of the possibility that things might not go go according to plan. And if they don't, then what happens from a either central bank or government perspective? You know, do you think the U.S. administration will be willing to um, put a $2 trillion stimulus package in place and then do another $2 trillion in, in October or November if the economy isn't where it's at? You know, there may be a finite limit. There is absolutely a finite limit to what people will be willing to do in that regard. So, so a, a change in that approach would be the other thing that nobody can model at this point. And there's certainly been no indication or inclination of governments anywhere to slow down on the stimulus, at some point they will. Right. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, it's, it feels a little bit like then letting it kind of stand on its own accord with the normal kind of economic demand and, and supply factors taking over instead of this sort of external, you know, injection and, and how that plays out. I know in the automotive aftermarket, because it, as in the US and in Canada and in many places, it was deemed as an essential business. So, uh, you know, it has been to a large degree, not completely uh, allowed to continue to operate. There have been, uh, depending on jurisdictions, there have been some restrictions and tamping down on it. So not everybody has uh, seen a kind of unabated uh, demand and, and ability to service, uh, but certainly compared to, you know, uh, the hospitality industry or travel and tourism, we've been very fortunate to be in, in that situation. So we're not likely as kind of a question to see like, 
a con, you know, we're sort of already on the, the kind of the rebound and, and recovery mode after seeing like a big dip, uh, you know, early in the pandemic last year. Uh, a lot of organizations had some pretty good years financially last year, you know, and, and I know that, uh, you know, we talked about some specific companies just to give some trajectory to it. But I, I as you had suggested earlier on, you know, that this was something that, uh, you know, if, if you had said to somebody at the end of March or maybe into April and May of last year that a whole basket of automotive aftermarket companies were going to be declaring uh, best years ever from a financial standpoint at the end of their 2020 fiscals after uh, miles driven dropped sort of 40% or more in May, April and May, uh, they would have said, you're crazy, you know, yet here we are with, uh, you know, continued growth and continued strong results, which, you know, obviously if we want to make a good case to the consumer and be, be there to provide the services, we have to have healthy companies, right? Well, for sure. And and that's, I mean, one reason for optimism at this point. I mean, you'd, you'd have to expect that the 2021 summer driving season is going to be a whole heck of a lot more robust than than the summer of 2020, uh, at the very least in the States, if not in Canada. Um, so there are definitely things to look at from a financial management or from a stock perspective. You know, we've got to try to figure out whether those expectations, that cash flow that that will generate for the sector is already built into the stock price. Um, it, I mean, it's very, very difficult to look at companies the way we normally would, and that would be to compare Q1 of 2021 to Q1 of 2020, uh, and, and certainly Q2 of 2021 is going to look massively different than Q2 of 2020 did. So, so those year-over-year comparisons are no longer as valid as they would be in a, in a more normal time. I mean, what, what analysts will be doing is looking back to 2018, 2019 uh, when can we get back to the trajectory that we were on prior to the pandemic? And in some industries, it's going to be much, much sooner than others for obvious reasons. Typically, in the ones that it's going to take longer to get back to, like travel and, and uh, you know, hotels and restaurants and things like that, hospitality, um, you know, those stock prices are lower than they are in, in areas where it's not going to take quite as long to get back there. But in areas like automotive and the aftermarket sector, how much of the enthusiasm about what's to come is built into the current stock price. And that's where the notion of modeling cash flows, uh, making assumptions over growth uh, that you're going to see in the next two or three years. But, but it's not even the next two or three years. It's the next really five or 10 years because equity markets are not just looking at what will happen in the next six to 12 to 18 months. And thank goodness they're not because they, they did from, from, you know, sort of March 1st to March 23rd of 2020, They were really only looking at what was going on at that point. And then there was a big shift to looking down the road. Uh, You know, I I think the next six to nine months is still very, very uncertain in terms of how fully the economy is going to reopen. I don't have much doubt that it's going to as we as we get more fully vaccinated and as we move through this, you know, this this sort of flux period where we're, we're not open, but we sort of are. We're not definitely not doing all of the things that we'll be doing in six or 12 months. Um, but just because we actually get to the point where we're reopening, it doesn't mean that, that you know, every, and nobody's going to ever wave the all clear flag and say economic growth from, from here to forever. That's, that's just not going to happen. 
Right, right. Yeah, I know that, again, you brought up the issue of the vaccinations and the impact that that's having on being able to comfortably open the economy. There's a lot of still anxiety about it. And and it's definitely a, a major factor in people's personal activity, which, you know, in aggregate is what gives us the performance of the economy, right? And, you know, some are calling for uh, saying, oh, well, when we're all vaccinated and pick a month, you know, July, August, September, and then we're good. That's a bit optimistic, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm, I'm not an epidemiologist, although I've had to answer an awful lot of questions over the last year as if I, as if I am and as if we've got a view on that. That's one of the fortunate things about the way we look at the markets is, as, again, I'm not, I'm not overly concerned about how the next three, six or nine months plays out. I'm much more concerned about the cash flow that the companies we choose to own will generate over the course of the next two, three, five, seven, ten 10 years. Um, but yeah, I, I, I mean, from a market perspective, I'm absolutely shocked that there hasn't been more volatility over the last six months. Like from the beginning of November, we've basically been on a fairly clear upward trajectory in most financial markets. And that is hard to believe when you think about the amount of uncertainty that's out there. Kind of speaks to how we're not looking at the real short term and how we're focusing more on the longer term. There's risks there for sure. But when you've got interest rates as low as they are, and and it looks like they're going to stay low for a protracted period of time, there's there's far less um, of an alternative to to investing in equities and, and, and different things. I mean, I think it's a fascinating time for for a number of the companies that you'd probably be interested in and that your that, that that your audience would be interested in, you know, from a standpoint of free cash flow generation. You know, most of them probably have far more cash on the balance sheet right now than they would have expected at this point last year, certainly. But you know, maybe maybe even at any point prior to that too. Look for companies that are that are raising their dividends. Look for companies that are buying back their shares, partially as a, a reflection of what management is thinking about their next, not six months or nine months, but their next couple of years. Because very few people want to be raising a dividend now that they're going to have to cut in a couple of years. You know, typically financial markets like that projection. So from a standpoint of evaluating the companies in the space that you're interested in, you know, look for what management is telling you about their their feel for their prospects going forward. Um, and if they're buying back stock, they obviously think that that's a better use of cash than expanding production or expanding their their reach or doing more marketing um, for whatever reason. That, that's that's a great question to ask um, investor relations or the the management of any of the companies uh, in the space. If they're raising their dividend, are they doing it on what they what they believe is a one time basis? Or does the company have a history of raising dividends and does it look likely that that'll continue? Um, How are they talking about not the next six months, but the next couple of years? Um, I I remember we we used to own Uniselect for for our clients back in the days, uh, back in the 2008, 2009, 2010 period, I believe, although I can't really remember. Uh, Time is a little bit hard to, to tell, but we used to have them come through our offices in Toronto. And I remember specifically, stories about our research folks sitting around the table with them. And we wouldn't ask them what their next quarter was going to do or the next two quarters or the next three quarters. We'd be talking to them about what their plans for the business were two or three or five years down the road. And, and I remember the reaction of management was, was I think they, they found it very refreshing that we weren't focusing on what that Q2 number was going to be in three months, that right. we cared about what their prospects were, what they thought their business could evolve into 
What are their challenges? What are their limitations? Um, you know, a, a more holistic view of the business as opposed to just what's your next quarter going to be like? Right. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, the the kind of financial uh, news stream from an aftermarket standpoint has been filled with the kinds of things that you're talking about now. Share buybacks, ap- approvals. I think uh, Advanced Auto Parts, like a billion dollars was approved to, to buy shares. Uh, I think Genuine Parts is, is looking at, declared some strong dividends. You know, some other, uh, you know, I don't want to exclude other great organizations. Those are two that, that come to mind. So these are, you know, organizations that are kind of hitting the marks from what you're talking about right now. Um you know, I don't have a, you know, obviously a, the mind to keep, uh, to understand what the history and all those are, but these are certainly positive things, right? So, uh, uh, you know, I, I guess they, it shows confidence in, in the business going forward, right? We'll be right back after this. Did you know that Delphi Technologies is the only OE full line fuel supplier? Go with the global aftermarket supplier with over 3,200 SKUs covering more than 280 million vehicles in operation and with parts tested in OE durability and reliability conditions to ensure a quality fit and performance. Learn more at DelphiAftermarket.com. Well, and sometimes you have to parse that because, I mean, obviously the automotive and the aftermarket sector is a fairly capital-intensive business. So you have to be a little bit careful that that returning cash to shareholders doesn't speak to a complete lack of opportunities to expand your business. Um, you know, we, we often say in financial markets generally hate it when companies cut their dividends. There are times when a dividend cut is appropriate to ensure the long-term health of a, of a company. You know, you're going into March of 2020 and you don't know what your cash flows are going to look like in, in the latter part of, of the fiscal year. Cutting the dividend is never fun from an investor standpoint, but sometimes it can be the absolute best thing from a company standpoint. So I, I would never look at a at a, a buyback plan or an increased dividend and just say clearly, well, that must be fantastic. There's lots of free cash flow, but that's 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 a that's a clue to to sort of drill down into it a little bit more. And if you find that there are robust opportunities to grow the business and the company is doing that out of generated cash or has access to debt on very good terms, um, you know, that that can be a great situation. You'd, you'd obviously want to avoid a company that was borrowing to pay a dividend, for example. That, that is a huge red flag because if you're not generating enough cash to cover your current dividend, let alone grow it, and are having to borrow to fund a dividend, um, you know, that, that would be a red flag, for example. So there's there's lots of things that go into that analysis. I, I, I would say uh, humbly that successful investing is not about buying something that's going to go up, you know, in the next two or three or four weeks or even months. It's about being able to understand where a company's financial robustness, if you will, comes from how sustainable it is and how good the management team is at growing that. Right, right. Comes down to people, right? In a lot of senses, it does. You, yeah, you, you'd never want to invest in a company that didn't have a very strong management team and that couldn't that couldn't um, uh, let you know what their what their vision of the company was. That, that you know couldn't get that out there. Didn't have it clear enough to themselves to be able to communicate it. Uh, it, it that's management teams are a huge part of what we look for in terms of companies that we want to own for a very long time. 
Good stuff. We're just going to uh, mention a little bit of a uh, kind of housekeeping, how this uh, works. If anybody has a question, you can uh, either uh, put it in through the Q&A, you can uh, enter it in chat, or you can raise your hand. If anybody has a question, raising your hand allows you to ask the question with your own voice. We can open that up for you. I'm not sure how much more we can cover on this. We've got so much, you know, we've covered a lot of ground here, you know, from personal portfolio management to be diversified, uh, looking for robust companies, strong strong management teams. And we talked a lot about the uh, automotive space, uh, both now and in the future, and, and some of the uncertainty about the transition to, uh, you know, electric powertrains and what that might bring uh, from, you know, obviously ma massive investments on uh, for the automakers to make that transition too. So before we go, and Molly, we wait if, any, if there are gonna be any questions, from an overall standpoint, as uh, I'm just going to step out of the, you know, being you know, an aftermarket guy here, but as somebody who's, you know, maybe has some money and, you know, we've, a lot of us in this industry have been, <laughs> we've got a lot more gray hair than we'd like to admit. And so, you know, we, we're, we're looking at uh, making good sound investments with our portfolios uh, and, and whatnot. Uh, what, what should we be focusing on and what maybe uh, should we be ignoring just as individual professionals with uh, kind of an, an investment portfolio? Well, so, so I go back to the notion of not concentrating your investment exposure in the same areas where, where you're generating your employment income or your business income. You know, I often talk, I, I've got a lot of clients that are in the banking sector uh, I would tend not to own any of the Canadian financial stocks for, for those clients because their compensation is going to be tied to the banking industry and to the health and, and vitality of, of uh, earnings on a year-to-year -year basis. You don't want your, your stock portfolio and your returns there tied to the same source necessarily. So back to that diversification notion that we, that we talked about before. I, I mean, it's a fantastic or fascinating time from an investment perspective because interest rates are incredibly cheap. You, you, know, you can borrow money at a fairly, fairly cheap cost and uh, cover, that, cover that borrowing from, with a dividend stream, for example. Um, I don't recommend that most people or most of my clients leverage themselves to invest, but you know, for, people that, for some people, this is, this is the time to look at that sort of thing. Look, looking at the overall health of the company and what the downsides are to anything that you invest in. What, what's the case? What's the, what's the negative case? What's going to really hurt that individual company? And you know, is, it, is it a clear and present danger, if you will? Uh, that, that's the way that I try to think about things when we're in as ebullient a market as we're in right now. And I don't think there's any way to characterize it other than being fairly ebullient. I mean, if anybody had told you that markets would be 15 or 20% higher than the pre-pandemic levels a year after the start of the pandemic, it would have been, it would have been a bit of a stretch. Um, so yeah, nothing's, nothing's cheap in terms of financial markets right now, but there are some very, very interesting themes when you compare how much you can earn from a dividend flow, for example, to how much it costs or what your other alternatives are for money. And I would say, as always, just make sure that nobody, nobody concentrates too much in one theme. It certainly isn't the time in the market to be taking on risk that you, you, know, you might be uncomfortable with if things take a turn for the worse. And sooner or later, they will. You know, our, our, our biggest discussions with clients aren't whether there'll be a correction at some point or aren't whether markets will you know, get soft again at some point. 
it's it's you know is it likely to be five or ten percent correction which is kind of a garden variety thing that happens every so often and really doesn't mean a thing in the overall scheme of things or do the conditions exist to have what happened back in march of 2020 happen again and we don't think that they do but you know you can't you can't say that that nothing would do that i mean the variants are an issue at this point the vaccines are, are an issue if the rollout doesn't go as planned or if god forbid there's some kind of setback and you know they don't do what they're supposed to there's there's lots of things that could happen from an outlier perspective but there's nothing that we can see at this stage that creates a calamity in the financial markets um at least at least based on the trajectory that we're on now stuff that's excellent it's fascinating you know for somebody who's uh, spends most of his time just thinking so specifically about the minutia of the automotive aftermarket it's great to have somebody like you carl to take the broader view and and uh, get into the literally the dollars and cents of it right so uh, that's great i don't have any questions up so i think we're going to call it a day thank you everybody who was able to attend today if you're listening to this uh, recorded version thank you for listening this is the opening session for the great canadian aftermarket trade show and we're, uh, we're glad you could join us thank you very much carl you're welcome thanks for having me i hope you enjoyed this podcast stay tuned for more from this and other live conference sessions recorded during the Great Canadian Aftermarket Trade Show virtual event held May and June 2021. You're listening to the Great Canadian Aftermarket Podcast, brought to you by the publishers of Indie Garage and Jobber Nation. Connect with us online at indiegarage.ca and jobbernation.ca, a brand of chat integrated media. Pothole damage to a vehicle's chassis is always a concern, no matter the size or time of year. If the worst does happen, you can count on Delphi Technology steering and suspension parts to get your customers back on the road again. Learn more at DelphiAftermarket.com.